Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here today with my co-host. Nick Houston. Nick Houston. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How has your uh, Advent season been so far, Nick? So far, man, we came out of the gate in a hurry. Have you got all your decorations and stuff up? The decorations are up. I put the wreaths on the window last night. Nice. Um, We got the live Christmas tree in one room and the fake Christmas tree in another room. (laughs) Um, Everybody's excited. The Christmas shopping is going. That's going, all right. I've started thinking of the stuff that, you know, I got to say, I kind of like Christmas as an adult. I can... Just send my mom a link to the thing that I want, and <laughs> she orders it. And it just gets delivered by Amazon. <laughs> to her house, and I have oh, to open okay. it when we uh, get together. But, okay. um, but yeah, it's a, it's a little different experience. <laughs> There's a commercial on TV right now where um, the guy's like, uh, headed over to his mom's house, and he, he realizes he forgot to buy his mom a Christmas present. And so he, he orders it on Amazon, has it delivered to her house, waits outside until the delivery guy drops it off, and then jumps up, grabs it, puts it in a bag, and then rings, on, rings the doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, uh, pretty clever. That's pretty good. You know, that's, a, um, I think, an interesting point, the way different families, different people handle the, the shopping list situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Are, are you a person who needs to have time to think and come up with something that's really going to reach into the heart and soul of the person <laughs> you're gift giving to, or are you cool with receiving an Amazon link? <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've, um, I think I'm a pretty decent gift giver, uh, in general. I don't, I don't do it often enough, but, uh, I, I, I generally like to give gifts that I think are gonna be meaningful to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't mean you can't find it on Amazon, but you know, uh, generally the, the, it's the thought that counts, right? We've been taught that our entire yeah. life. And I think as we've gotten older, that, that means more than it used to, because it didn't used to be the thought that counted. It was the bicycle or the Nintendo or the whatever that counted. And we'll see. And where that's concerned, see, I'm, I'm, I'm at odds sometimes with whether, I think there are times where gift cards are wholly inappropriate. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like. I think gift cards are incredibly, like, almost dismissive. Like, I didn't have time to think about a gift for you. I mean, they are lazy. They are. But sometimes that's exactly what somebody wants. Well, and that's right. So sometimes, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's that, you know, I don't know. I I, I, I think gift cards are, like, something that a boss gives an employee, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not something that it all represents some kind of, like, connection or relationship with that person. Like, I don't know. But then at the same time, sometimes you don't know what somebody wants, and sometimes a gift card can come in handy. Like a Starbucks right. gift card is like the most amazing gift ever. So maybe for Starbucks it works. But if you give me like a Amazon gift card or something, mm-hmm. you know, it just means that like I didn't. Well, an Amazon gift card says I have no idea what to get for you right. or I don't have enough time to figure out what to get for you. Right. And both of those things say that your relationship's not that important <laughs> in my life. <laughs> right. Or does it? I don't know. Maybe that's a good that's a good way to kick off. our. I mean, that's a, that right? is the place where I feel like. That's why I feel like they're sometimes inappropriate. Like they're not always inappropriate. There are, because I think there's gift giving dynamics. It's different. Like you getting a gift sure. for your parents versus right. getting a gift for your children versus right. your siblings. Like my, oh, okay. particularly at Christmas. Well, okay. So particularly at Christmas. So um, growing up, the family would always draw names. 
and so like, oh, like the a secret santa thing but because it was you know on dad's side of the family the grandparents had five kids and they all had kids Oh, and you all got together for Christmas? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And it would be crazy if you were all trying to buy gifts for oh, everybody. Oh, no. yeah, absolutely. So as a way to try to like get it under control, they would just um, draw the names of the grandkids. Right, right. And just buy a gift for, you know. And then eventually it got to the point where it got so big, they just quit even drawing names. Like my grandparents would buy a gift for everybody. Okay. But we quit the cross family stuff. So you guys just, okay. Yeah. And so then that came up with, because, you know, I'm one of four. And three of us have kids. Um, and the youngest brother asked the question, you know, do y'all want to draw names or something? Yeah. And the three with kids were all like, no. <laughs> because we're doing enough. Right. You know, we're, we're already buying. A ton of gifts for your own children. For your kids. But then also, you got to send something for all the teachers. You got to give something to the bus driver. Is that a thing? You got to do yes. <laughs> and you don't want to be the parent that didn't do it. Yeah, I guess so. I know those teachers they're gonna, have a list. They're going to they're gonna dial back some of that education. I know they know. <laughs> a funny story. My daughter, uh, <laughs> speaking of being on the naughty list, my daughter, uh, Kiefer, got into a, a little bit of a disagreement with one of her classmates on Monday, last Monday, a week ago. Okay. Uh, and she bit her. Oh, yikes. Uh, a woman, a girl named Brooke, I guess. Um, and and then her teacher, she has a little take-home folder. Her teacher put a note in the take-home folder. It was like, mm-hmm. hey, this happened. We need to talk about this. And then Kiefer hit it in the back seat of Candace's car, the folder. Oh, and nice. And all week long, when Candace was like, where's your take-home folder? She'd be like, oh, it's still at home. It's still at the, uh, school, whatever. Mm-hmm. Teacher didn't give it to us today until Friday came along. And uh, Candace found it in the back seat of the car. Right. And she got in so much trouble. It's amazing how clever they are so early. Because like Kai is in kindergarten. Yeah. No, she's okay. in first grade. She's in first grade. Okay. Yeah. So Flint is in kindergarten. Okay. And he gets the same like weekly progress report right, thing, yeah. or actually even daily. Yeah. And they get smiley faces or medium faces or frowny faces right, for right. their behavior. Yeah. And this kid strolled on back to the back of the house when he got home from school with his folder. Uh-huh. And changed his smiley faces and then brought it to Kate and it was like, see, I did good. But he changed them like a kindergartner changes them. So it was real clear that this was a forged document. (laughs) Forging smiley faces. Yes, forging smiley faces. These kids, man, I wonder, you know, these two kids hang out with each other once in a while. They're probably scheming together. This is the kind of stuff they're coming up with. He might have told her, hey, did you know you could change your smiley face? (laughs) Did you know you just hide that thing, man? (laughs) Right. It didn't work for me. Hide it. Yeah, there you go. Oh, man, naughty was. Well, we as we uh, as we look into our our um, Advent devotional, Advent Christmas Epiphany devotional that we put together here at Northside Church this week, we are looking at the Book of Judges. Um, and I don't know, Nick, how much uh, how much experience you have with the Book of Judges, but uh, have you ever read it during the season of Advent? I tell you what, never during the season of Advent. This is why I can tell you about the Book of Judges, Samson. Samson, yeah. Gideon. Gideon, yeah, yeah. Deborah. Deborah. Yeah. That's the big three right there. Okay. Right? So maybe yeah, good job. Maybe they're all in there this week because those are the ones I can think of. Those are the ones we actually cover uh, uh, this week. Uh, Deborah. We start with Deborah, then Gideon on Wednesday, and then we 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 looked at um we looked at uh, Samson or Samson's mother, I guess, in particular, on Friday. But uh, 
this is uh, something we're uh, something different that we've never done before. I, at least I've never done before. Where we're I, looking I don't know at some if of these. Anybody books. has ever done? It yeah, looking at some of these books that are uh, not typically stories that we look at during Advent, but I think that once you apply like an Advent lens to them, particularly when you talk about. Um, these things, uh, these themes that we talk about, like expectation and hope and joy and peace. And these, uh, it, when we apply that lens to some of these books that we don't often read at all, like Judges, uh, I think some new stuff comes to the surface and maybe some stuff that's worthy of reflection. Um, uh, Judges is one of those books that, quite honestly, is the most disturbing and violent book in the Old Testament. I don't know how much of it you remember from from uh, wherever the last time it is you read oh, it. Oh, there's a lot of Philistines that had to die for the book of Judges. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. And it ends with this passage. It ends with this verse that kind of it becomes a refrain in the book of Judges. But the last verse in the book of Judges, after all of this happens, uh, is in those days there was no king in Israel, and each person did what they thought was right. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it, it says that in the sense, like, if you took that out of context— uh, if you just had that verse, it might sound like a good <laughs> that thing. That didn't right? make it okay, right? Right? It, it could. It, it, you take it out of context. You're like, there was no king, and everyone just did what they thought was right. And, and you mm-hmm. know that in that what we want, we all want to just do what we think is right. But in the context of judges, what the people think is right is terribly, terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? They're just doing. Uh, not, I don't even know how much thought they're really putting into what is right and wrong. They're just doing uh, terrible, terrible things. Um, so, uh, so question becomes for us like, how do you find hope, <laughs> which is the theme this week, from something like that? The uh, looking at the Book of Judges through the Advent lens, it is interesting to see what you're developing with the devotional from Joshua and then Judges, and um, we're going to talk about some kings coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, that this idea that I. I we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament and kind of I like to think of it as God's plan developing. Yeah. And the phases of um, how Israel is going to be run. Yeah. Um, working its way to Jesus. Right. Right. So, you know, Joshua is one kind of leader and then the judges are another kind of leader. Yeah. And it's still, you know, in those days there was no king. Yeah. So if you had to think, and I'm not sure how orthodox this is as an approach, but if you thought about uh, the Red Sea as like the moment that Israel is born, like in their, in their infancy as they're kind of wandering in the wilderness, and then they, they enter into some kind of childhood when they're in Joshua, like judges, what is this, like brooding, like like just evil brooding teenager years? or hmm. I mean, what, if you thought about it as, a, as, as Israel is, is growing up, uh, you know, what, what is, what is the book of judge? Where does that fit? Cause right after this, you get King Saul and David, right? And so that's kind of like maybe a young adulthood or something. Judges is this kind of period between childhood rebellious and rebellious teenager. Yeah. Like you get this rebellious teenager. Cause in the book of judges, you get this like cycle and, and spiral of, of evil that just gets worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and really it's not a book that you would look to for much hope. One of the things that, uh, we said in Sunday school and, and as we've looked through the as we look through this week is it says there's no king in Israel, but the implication is there's no king in Israel yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause there is one coming, uh, and Saul and David and, and, and Solomon and those guys are, are going to show up for sure. And then there's a bunch of Kings after that, but it almost points toward what Advent is about, which is this King who came on Christmas day, right? The mm-hmm. King of Kings, the King who is the King of the universe. Um, so that we don't do what we think is right, but rather do 
what is righteous, right? Or do mm-hmm. what God thinks is right. I mean, I see the, the illustration is that the people lived in the way they thought was right, and life was terrible. Yeah, like exactly. That's yeah. the thing to keep in mind there is that life was terrible. When we get our way, uh, you know, when we always get what we want for Christmas, <laughs> right? Or, you know, yeah. when we get our way, uh, life is not good. Uh, things, things fall apart much quicker, it seems like. Or at least we're, we tend to spiral into sin. Um, it's, a, it's fascinating, um, you know, when you sit with that for a minute and think about uh, what that means, like, in the world that we live in now. Because right now we live in a culture that's all about trying to give people what they deserve, what, what their rights are, right? Individual rights. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's – maybe there's not a correlation between these two. I don't know. Uh, I hadn't thought anything about this. This has come off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, we we live in a culture where people get to make decisions about what they think is right all the time. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news right now about what people have rights to do and not have rights to do. Hmm. And I wonder if there's not like a parallel that's happening. Uh, I could see there being a sort of a parallel in terms of... Um we have the freedom to do a lot of stuff that is amoral. Yeah. Like, it might be legal. <laughs> but is it moral? But it's not necessarily moral. And even beyond that, is it righteous? So, I mean, I think that's right. at another level, even above morality. Yeah. It goes above and beyond just doing what's good. To do what is holy. Uh and yet we, you know, we, we, we fall short of that, obviously, all the time. But I don't even think we make it to that moral level a lot of times. Yeah, but, well, and that, that is the, that's the struggle, is living in a culture that says this is okay for you to do. Yeah. Even though spiritually, it's not it so might nice. not be the right move. So, you know, Paul says something about that when he's talking to the Corinthians. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians and they're living in very similar kind of cultures as we do, particularly if you're a Roman citizen, like you have the right to do a lot of different things. Like you can do a lot of stuff. Uh, and, and there's a lot of temptation, a lot of seduction that's in going on in Corinth, you know, just like there was in Babylon and, and, mm-hmm. and here in, in the world that we live in now. And he says in first Corinthians, uh, I can't remember the chapter, maybe in chapter 10, uh, I can't remember. But anyway, he says something like, um, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah. And that is, um, that's an, you know, and, he, and everything is permissible is kind of in quotation well, but, marks. So he's like quoting, he's quoting like a Corinthian mantra. Everything is permissible. Mm-hmm. And then he adds his, but not everything is beneficial. Is that similar um, mood to the source of when in Rome? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I did think that when Paul said something like that, what he was really driving towards was... Yeah, you could probably do that, and it would be okay, but how is it affecting people yeah. around you? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the situation that you're in might determine whether or not. That's right. It's advisable. Well, and I, even though it's permissible. Right, right, and I, I think that's exactly the. I think the context of when he said that is when he's talking about whether or not you should eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, 
right? And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's no big deal. Uh, idols aren't real, so eat whatever you want to eat. But if it's causing your brother or sister to fall into right. sin or, or have doubt, uh, then maybe rethink it, right? It's not beneficial. Uh, and and that, that demands thinking about our actions through the lens of other people in the sense of, like, is what I'm doing edifying? for my family mm-hmm. or for my church or for the people that are watching me, right? Rather than just simply being driven by what I want to do or what I think is right, like the people in the ju- in the book of Judges are, right? It's it's about well what what's actually what is what is actually the the righteous or the just thing to do in this moment in this situation. We don't take the moment, we don't take the time to step back and kind of think that through. You know? We buy it like a gift card of morality. <laughs> it is. It is a higher level. We've been working on Daniel in my Sunday school class. Yeah. Um, I didn't do Daniel in the Lions Den this past Sunday. We'll do that next week. So this is a perfect example of somebody who's living in a very seductive and permissive culture. Babylon, right? Right. right. And several of those stories what sticks out about them and what the the moral that we taught the kids was about standing up for your faith right right um and so whether it Shadrach, was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mm-hmm, or Hananiah, Mishael and dang what was the other one Bob, Robert <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you're living in a culture that is pagan that right. doesn't believe in your God that is kind of doing whatever they think is right yeah and um, Daniel and his three friends stand up for what they believe and and affirm and assert God Yahweh, yeah, rather than all the pagan gods. It's, it's like a statue of Nebuchadnezzar or something. They're they're, they're being forced to, to worship the statue, down to. and yeah. they refuse to do it and get thrown in the fiery furnace. The and three one, friends, and one of them has like a great. There's like a one of the greatest lines, uh, one of the greatest retorts in in all of scripture, where the guy's like. Uh, Look, God may or may not save us. We may burn, but I will never bow to you, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So with that fiery furnace, it was, yeah. uh, um, our God has the power to deliver us. But even if he does not. Even if he doesn't. That's right. We will not bow down and worship your God. That's amazing. Your statue. Now that's, uh, that's the next level kind of stuff that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly the kind of response that is demanded in a, in a culture like Babylon or in a culture like um this kind of what do we want to talk about babylon or <laughs> persia or greece or rome, rome yeah it doesn't matter right or america now <laughs> atlanta mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean particularly like you think about it in terms of uh, i'm saying particularly a lot today but you think about it in terms of the christmas season um and we were just talking about christmas lists and things like that and we are definitely taught by our culture to um we have this drive to want things and get things and and this kind of consumerism that we've we've you know rallied against for years and years and years as we always talk about this time of year Um, but it's not just christmas time that that is our our mindset right and i wonder if um if we don't if we shouldn't take a step back and think about this for just a second it, during christmas it becomes very apparent although we always ignore it it doesn't seem like we really <laughs> learn any lessons uh about consumerism or whatever but there's a guy one of uh, one of my friends who's a is a professor and and writer his name is Jamie Smith and uh he he wrote a book or series of books on on what he calls cultural liturgies and basically makes the argument that 
um, when you go to the mall, you're like going to a church and it's designed exactly the same way that a worship service is designed, where you have invitations to go into different classrooms and to, and to basically bear your soul and you're, you're inundated with liturgies, like ads and advertisements and things and jingles and these things that, that become, that permeate your soul. They, they're more than just, they're affecting you more than just on the level of thought. They're getting into your heart and they're directing your heart toward wanting and being driven towards certain things. Like you want to get, you know, that net, that new TV or you want to get that new car. You want to get those things. Um, and it's not, it's not on the level of just you're making a decision to get that. You are driven. Like your desires are being shaped. Your heart is being shaped. And he makes the argument that um, the culture that we live in does this constantly and consistently across the board. And it's what it's how the church is supposed to function. Like we're supposed to come to church and be driven to serve the Lord. Like that's the kind of passion that our hearts are supposed to be directed. And yet, because of these competing and what he calls competing religions of consumerism, we're actually worshiping false idols. And it's not just like, oh, that new car is, you know, getting in between me and God. No, it's like that advertisement drove my heart, directed my heart toward doing something in the world that I would not have otherwise done. And so if God is competing against Lexus, you know, how many times does God win that fight? You know, and the Lexus, obviously, cars a big thing. These, this happens in small ways, too. But I don't know. You know, uh, Bill mentioned this in a sermon on Sunday, but what do you, how do you think about the idea of our culture being a competing religion it's not just there's no such thing as secular it's just it's all religion it's all driving our hearts oh see that's an easy leap for me to make i mean i think first of all i'd like to really um maybe take that metaphor a step further and let's talk about how many people are at church versus at the mall yeah um we might have competingly poor participation (laughs) um (laughs) well and you know the mall (laughs) <laughs> you and I are, are a generation of the mall. Right. Yeah, now it's Amazon.com, right? But it's yeah. the same. It's online church. <laughs> I mean, it's what yeah. it is, right? No, I don't have a problem saying that there is nothing sec- secular. It's just another religion because I think the number one religion in America is me. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Um, And that is what so much of the consumerism ties back to. Yeah. If I'm honest about what, you know what religion competes for my attention it is me yeah um you know that's exactly right yeah i don't want to give money to the church i have to put money in my 401k <laughs> i don't want to yeah. be there on sunday i've got a tea time yeah. i don't want to volunteer for that because i got this vacation plan so i'm not going to be able to help out with that right mission project but you're just doing what you think is right right I mean, is is that what it comes down to? Is it that easy? I don't even know if it's what you think is right. It's just what I'm going to do. It's just what I'm going to do. Well, maybe maybe that speaks to, and that speaks to the people in Israel uh, during the time of Judges. It speaks to us, too. We don't even know what right is. I think we have confused what is right with what feels good, right? Or what gives us pleasure, or what gives us security, or mm-hmm. what gives us, you know, a sense of peace. So we, it's not even that we're making decisions about, like, uh, it is right for me to go play golf or it is right for me to buy a new car. It is, that's, that, that's going to bring me pleasure. It's going to bring me relaxation. It's going to bring me peace or putting money in your 401k. It's going to bring me security. It's going to bring me that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is what the right thing to do is in that moment. And so you are 
it kind of deciding you just have you just mm-hmm. we've just shifted what right means. It's no longer about it being a moral issue or it is moral, but it's just our morality now is based on what brings us peace, security and pleasure. Well, and oftentimes I think our morality is based on the next worst person. Oh, comparative. Comparative morality. Yeah. Huh? yeah. There's probably a whole branch of philosophy I've just oh, stumbled man. into. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, you're, so what we, okay. So, we judge ourselves best on how we, how we maybe stack up against the, yeah, the well, worst person say, we know. Right. When you say, well, and everybody did what they thought was right. Well, what you thought was right was probably based on what you see that guy over there doing. Right. Yeah. And if it's good enough for so and so, then it's good enough for me. Yeah. I mean, this is the, um, area you get into where we're advised by the scripture to um i think paul said don't be a teacher or yeah yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. because if you're going to be out in front leading then you're going to be held to a higher standard that's right or at least you're going to be held to the standard that you claim to uphold you claim to uphold right yeah at um, the very least right and so i do think as people in a lot of ways we are kind of pre-wired to um judge ourselves based on what we see going on around us yeah and if everybody around you is spiraling out of control then well it's okay for me to spiral out of control too yeah no that's, as long as you do I mean, it a little slower maybe good <laughs> i mean i think that's right you know you got kiefer i'm sure you can appreciate this though with your brothers um how many times you get in trouble and it's like yeah but he did it <laughs> right no yeah exactly you know um your sense of morality about what was right in that situation was based on whether or not the brothers were participating. <laughs> so we're always being graded on a curve, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think <laughs> if a majority of people are doing it, then it can't be wrong. Well, but isn't that what I think a lot of pop culture now wants to be graded on? Yeah, no, that's right. Um, when it comes to what's right and wrong, and if you died tonight, <laughs> where would your eternal rest be? Right, right. You know, like, well, mine's got to be heaven because I'm at least better than that guy over there. <laughs> um yeah. No, I think that's right. And particularly when you think about in terms of, like you said, with teachers and preachers and those who stand out front are leaders. So many of our leaders have failed um, to live up to a moral standard that, you know, would be exemplary. And so if you feel like you're doing better than the leader, even. Yeah. Then that like gives you even more justification. Permission. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and then what gets real fun is when you have an authority figure giving you instructions that you're trying to follow. And then it comes out that they ran off with their secretary. <laughs> right. No, right. Um, yeah, man. And then, then you get into a place where you're like, well, how do you even begin to trust? You know, you know, let's say you wake up one day and you realize, man, I'm not, I'm not doing what's right. Uh, or, or, you know, the Holy spirit moves and, and you wake up and you say, I need to do better. And I need to stop comparing myself to other people. There's a higher universal objective standard that I need to be applying myself to or applied to me. Uh, where do you even go then to find that? Like, who can you trust, right? Well, you got to shift from looking at the next worst person to looking at the next best person. Okay, so you just move up. You just move up <laughs> right. to the next, yeah. yeah. But how, how do you even trust with your eyes to see what's good and bad, though? Like, I, I don't think I would be able to trust in a situation like you're describing. Oh, gosh, are you looking for an objective truth? No, no. Well, I'm looking for a, a, I'm looking for a direction, right? So okay. I, a big big part of uh, what's what I've been thinking about over the course of the past couple months is where the direction of my heart is. Like, where mm-hmm. what is driving me? What is, where am I, you know, if I thought about my heart as an arrow, what is it being fired at? 
and and um, trying to figure out what that needs to be. Obviously, you would say, well, it needs to be God, right? It needs to be Jesus. Jesus should be where the target is. Right, because we're at church, Jay. The exactly. answer is Jesus. Exactly. The answer is always Jesus. And I, I agree with that. But what does that look like? You know, what does it look like to fire at Jesus? Who's Jesus? What, what version of Jesus, you know, or what teaching of Jesus? Or what, what am I even talking about? I, I, um, I, I can't get to that by comparing myself with either the worst person or the best person. Like Jesus is mm-hmm. above and beyond all of that. So like what, how do you get to a place where you're, you know, or can be confident that you're firing your heart at Jesus Christ? <laughs> do you have an answer for that? <laughs> I feel like a real opportunity for some brilliance to shine through and I just don't know if it's going to happen. What, I, what I've, what I have, um, what I've resolved myself to do is to say exactly like Augustine said, which is you can't search for something you don't know. Speaking of terrible people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. Um, but, but, but he said, he said, you, you can't search for something that you don't know. If you don't know it, you can't search for it because you don't even know mm-hmm. where to begin. It has to be God who directs the arrow. And it, so it's not even me who's shooting the arrow. It has to be God, which means I have to get out of the way. So when we mm-hmm. get back to what you were talking about with the, you know, your best religion or your favorite religion, the most, the most competitive religion you have with Jesus is the religion of me, right? The religion yeah. of Nick Houston. Literally, in order to even begin the process of moving toward Jesus Christ, you have to tear that church down. The church of me. Ooh, but it's good looking. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah, when we spend so much time polishing the, the, the you know, arranging the deck chairs on Titanic, I guess is one way to say it. Oh, right? there you go. There you go. Uh, but, but yeah, you're right. Like, we spend so much time trying to make sure that our church, or the church of ourself, looks so good. But honestly, like, in order to even begin the process of doing what is actually righteous instead of what we think is right, you have to you have to tear that building down. So, I want to go backwards for a second because yeah. I'm intrigued that the name of the book is Judges. Okay. And that in this world where everybody is doing what they feel like there has been appointed a judge. Right, yeah. Because the, a judge, I guess, I, th- I think about it really in that legal sense, like the courtroom sure. drama, judge. Yeah. What was, what was God doing with these judges that are called judges? Yeah. To be the leaders. So I, the, 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 the way that it breaks down, uh, the way that I understand it is, the judges were, the idea is that God is the king. All right. So God is the ruler. Yahweh is the ruler of the people of Israel. And in a moment of crisis, whether it's like internal conflict or external threat, like the Philistines are coming, the Philistines are coming, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's an internal conflict between the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Gad, right? Whatever. So God would raise up these individuals who would, who would adjudicate that situation right they would judge between judah and gad or whatever and or they would ri- raise up an army to to defend from the philistines are the judges like one from each tribe or that they're like 
once you're chosen by God, you're above the tribe, and now it, you it's, it's adjudicate ki- among all of them. It's kind of like it, it's kind of like they're 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 uh, risen up for a particular instance, a particular moment, uh, a, a particular issue. Right, so there's a particular thing that Deborah has to solve, or Gideon has to solve, or Samson has to solve, and um, it's not as of, as though they're like elected and now they're going to be there for four years or for ten years or whatever. It's it's no, you solve this issue, and then they just go back to being what they were before. What separates them from the prophets? Only from being like Elijah, where they would just walk out and be the, like, "There's some similarities between the judges and the prophets." I think the the prophets, um, the prophets only really come into being. Uh, during the king, during the kingdoms. So after Saul becomes king, that's when the prophet Samuel mm-hmm. really becomes the first prophet in the, in the way that we're thinking of prophet. Right. Um, so that, that's an office really that God creates as a way of correcting the kingdom, uh, a, a way of correcting the king, being like the conscience of the king is, is what the prophet, and they disappear after the exile. They don't come back from the exile. You mm-hmm. only get rabbis after that, teachers. So um, judges are kind of like that. The only the only difference is that judges have the political power as well. So like uh, you would you would oh, see so like, that gets split between the king mm-hmm. and the prophet. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the oh. prophets the prophets speak with the full weight of the word of God. So when they speak, it is God who is speaking. Um, and so and, and the judges aren't quite like that either. So hmm. they're kind of in this in between space between a king and a prophet. Where they have political power to raise up armies, but they also have the ability to guide the people um, in in spiritual ways. Although none of them are really any good at it. Uh, if you go back and read the stories, even the heroes that we like, Samson, for instance, was terrible. Like, yeah, he was just a yeah. terrible dude uh, from start to finish. Like he <laughs> he was not uh, in any way someone you should emulate. But somehow, as a kid, I missed out on what a terrible duty was. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because we always heard the cool stories, right? Well, it just sounded like a superhero to me. Yeah, and that's exactly what he was. In fact, there's some scholars who believe that... Um, With this terrible woman he married, trying to... Delilah. Yeah. yeah. Delilah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's some scholars who believe that that the um, the demigod Hercules is based off of Samson. Hmm. So... Um, that, that's an interesting little side. Like note. Samson first, and then they developed the idea. It, of it, uh, it, I mean, it goes, it can cut both ways, but, uh, yeah. it, it, but there's definitely, they're both coming from the same tradition one way or the other. Hmm. So it's interesting, but the Samson story might've been around longer. In any case, you have the, the story of these judges that are lifted up by God. And, and what, so what we learned in that is what, number one, God chooses terrible people sometimes to do, <laughs> to do the work of God. And, and, and number two, we also learned that there, there is no judge, um, how do I want to say this, there, there is no, there was no judge that was capable of stopping this endless cycle and spiral of Israel into just the darkness. Uh, and mostly it was, and, and to be fair, their spiral into this just ever, ever increasing violence and dark world was fueled by their inability to get rid of the idols in their land. They kept worshiping the Canaanite gods, even though they were supposed to have destroyed all those when they came in with Joshua. They kept finding their way back into their hearts, and they kept directing their passions and their drives, right? So, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, gods of rain, gods of fertility, gods of, of all these different kinds of gods. Uh, well, gods of that woman you married. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, more often than not. I think because that was the other thing that came up still in. Uh, this doesn't have to go in because it's just linking a bunch of stuff together. But, That's all right. 
I didn't realize that it was still a problem with Nehemiah and Ezra. Oh, yeah. That they're still saying, hey, guys, you've come back from exile, and now you started marrying these women again, and it's these like, women of men, and they're still worshiping these pagan gods, and like, that was a whole problem with how come we're just now back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, guys, did we learn anything <laughs> Did we from learn that? anything from that? <laughs> and all I can imagine is that there's some dude in the crowd being like, but she's hot. <laughs> Have you met this girl? Nicole, come on! Right, exactly. It speaks to something that I think is very important for us today when we're, especially, again, when we get back to these, uh, uh, there is no such thing as a secular world. We live in a world of competing uh, passions, competing desires. All of them are religious. And what I mean by religious is they shape and direct our hearts. They shape and direct our own desires and passions. So when, we, when we're thinking about our life, when, you know, taking an assessment of our life, how many of those idols have we returned to? You know? Now, we live in a world now where you can, you know, intermarriage is not, is not the issue. But the same kinds of, the same kinds of, of, of distractions and temptations and seductions that come with those foreign gods of the Old Testament are still very much present in the life, you know, in the world that we live in today. I mean, anytime you engage something that it's going to take you off of God's path. How do we remain vigilant that, that that's not going to happen? What do we do to protect ourselves? I think I think we got to do it every day, every single day. Yeah, but I, I think, and again, I think it starts. I, 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 this is something that that has really been weighing on me over the past uh, few weeks. Is this is not an act of will. It's not as though we can gather up the courage and the strength and the will to be like today. I will be righteous. Today I will be holy. Today I will direct my heart at Jesus Christ. It's not an act of will. It's an act of surrender. It is allowing God to do that. So we don't have to take on like all the distractions and seductions and temptations and all the false gods and idols of our world. We don't ha- we don't have to try to be Samson in that way and just be the strongest guy in the room, right? Whether it's a strength of, of physicality or spirituality. The only thing we have to do, and it's hard, this is the hardest part, but it, it's only one thing, is to start every day by saying, I can't do this, will you do it for me? Right? And then allowing God and the Spirit to direct you throughout the day. Checking in, right? Constant prayer. Constant, constant kind of vigilance in that way. Does that, does that ring true, or, or am I? I want to agree with you, but I can't. <laughs> well, that, that's very often the case with us, isn't it? <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot to be said for, yes, we've got to surrender, but I do think that in that there is the action of choosing to surrender. Right, okay. And so, um, and even that, I don't know if we can do. Like, we need God to do that for us too. But there's, uh, you know, it's very clear to me that there is a choice that we've got to make, and I think that it it's a choice that maybe we don't even have to make daily. Maybe we've got to make multiple times a day. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, as each opportunity comes, comes towards closer, you, yeah. you know, and and it, and maybe. Um, Maybe there is a way in which you were prepared. You set yourself up to make the right decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and certainly in 
inviting the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life so that you are ready to take on the day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's kind of what, kind of what I'm getting at. But I almost wonder, like, as, as we're talking about this, this idea is popping in my head. is like, maybe it's not a choice. Maybe surrender is not a choice. Maybe it's like an anti-choice. Maybe surrender is literally just not acting, not acting, not, not using your will. Like completely surrendering is just to step back and do nothing and allow the spirit to move. I've watched people surrender themselves to other things. Um, stand back and let their lives be taken over by addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Would we say... It, so I'm trying to... Is there, is there a correlation define yeah because i I do think that there's a way where you step back and let what happens happens and all the wrong stuff happens it's kind of like resignation almost like you fall into a resignation um i think that's probably true but maybe because we certainly like someone who is suffering from addiction like true addiction we wouldn't say they're making choices anymore, right? Even though it looks like they're choosing to do X, Y, or Z, whatever mm-hmm. the addiction might be, they're really not. Their will has been so corrupted and so turned in on itself that, that it, they're, cho- they're not really making choices. They're not really making decisions. So, it, it, oh man. I, oh, I wait a minute. So I don't know if I like using the addiction as a correlation, but is, is there, no, is there I'm a just correlation to between, if I should be addicted to Jesus? That's what I'm That's exactly <laughs> that's, that's right. A to J, right? Addicted <laughs> to Jesus. We got a new Sunday school class. Name. So, no, but that's that's what I'm like getting back to. Like, like maybe that's exactly what needs to happen. I don't I'm, I've, I, I need to explore this idea more before. Uh, I come down on a, on a side, but, but well, see, because here's the thing. Let me let me just I'm gonna I'm gonna put something real real Let's real, real 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 real. I'm worried that if I went that far, that it would make me really weird and hard to hang out with. <laughs> it probably would. And why, but why are you worried about that? Well, because I want to be a cool kid. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And if I went as hard as I was taught I should be, yeah, I wouldn't be cool, James. <laughs> but what if you didn't have to go by yourself? What if you could take some friends with you? So if everybody's not cool with me. <laughs> then everybody's cool. <laughs> hmm. That was always the hope when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> toughest thing that's coming right this minute is with these kids and having the same we all want to be cool kids yeah but i need for you to be a cool kid that operates with this level of morality yeah with this level of conviction about what's right and what's righteous and it I'm not. Uh, maybe, maybe one way to address that for both our, both our kids and for us is why do we want to be cool so bad? 
I mean, that tells me right now that we've already bought into a religion that's not. That's the religion of me still. Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's comparative, though, because if it was just the religion of you, you could probably figure out a way to make anything cool. Hmm. The question is, like, who are you not cool to? Like, you know, like, who are you uncool to? Everyone always wants to be cool. That's like a, that's the number one rule of humanity from mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. one, right? Adam eats the Adam eats the apple because Eve said, here, have some apple. And he's like, I want to be cool. I want to be cool in the situation, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and, and Eve eats the apple because she wants to be cool. Like, this thing's cool. All right. It's all about being cool. Uh, but if we are I feel like this is a book opportunity, it's <laughs> yeah. all about being cool. It's all about being cool. Uh, but if, if being cool is so important, why can't we figure out a way to think about, I want to be cool in the eyes of God, <laughs> or I want to be cool in the eyes of Jesus. It's the world, the world and the patterns of this world, man, have, have captured our imagination so much that we cannot even imagine a possibility of being faithful and cool at the same time. Oh no. Oh no. Wow, this is uh this podcast is too real. We're gonna have to delete this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'd uh and hmm. And, you know, and, and you know what's funny about that is that's exactly how that kind of where judges ends up is uh with Samuel as the last judge. And the people of Israel come to him being like, we want to be like every other nation. Give us a king. We want a king, just like, you know, just like Egypt has a king, like that right. guy has a king. Yeah, all the nations around us. We're tired of king. being this theocracy situation. Kings right? are the real deal. Right. We want, we want to be cool. We want to be cool. And that's exactly, I mean, that is exactly the mentality they have there. Uh, and, so, and so they abandon. They abandon God. They turn away from God in order to get cool and get a cool king. And they get Saul, who is, by the way, the coolest dude. Right? We'll talk about this when we get to it. But He sounds like a real bro. He was like he was like tall. He was handsome. He was the most handsome man in Israel, the Bible says. Right? He, like mm-hmm. I, I call him in the devotional. He's like Don Draper. Right? He is like <laughs> the guy. Right? But he turns out to be terrible. And yet he is cool. Yeah, I think you got me when you said that um, we got a real problem when we can't imagine being faithful as being cool. Yeah, it is. It's but there is also this alternate standard out there in the world that says, for some, that if you are, you, you can't appear to be that cool and actually be faithful. Yeah, and the kind of music you listen to. I mean, that was the big thing for me growing up was you can't listen to secular music, right? Because that See, that is all about. Yeah, we can't listen to Lizzo because that that is going. No, we can't listen to Lizzo. Is, that is going to shape but the way I, we see the world. Yeah. Okay. So you want to know what? Tra- I have not admitted to anybody that I've been listening to a lot of contemporary Christian music lately. Yeah. yeah okay. Like old stuff or no new stuff? New stuff. Is it any good? Yeah. Eh, eh. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's better than I remembered it. Okay. But I left it for a long time because it sucked. Yeah. 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 I listen. I go back and listen to some of the stuff in the '90s that I listened to when I was a teenager. Well, there's part of me that wonders if. Uh, I just finally got old enough for adult contemporary. Yeah. And like, you just can't fight it. It eventually happens. <laughs> eventually, point of grace is going to happen. Where, where you're <laughs> just like, W. Smith, I'm ready for you. Dang, this is a jam. <laughs> and so I have been enjoying it. And part of the reason that I've been enjoying it is just that um, I do feel like it is subtly influencing my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And where my mind is. And so the fact that it had my thoughts on God rather than on. Yeah, I know. You know, money, women, cars. Right. 
or Broken Hearts. Ice and, cold beer never broke my heart. <laughs> that's a great song. <laughs> and I had to, this is how well the staff knows me. A few people come up to me and go, have you heard this, Nick? You're going to love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think that's exactly right. And that's exactly what we're talking about. What are you doing right there? You're worshiping. Yeah. Right? You, are, you are allowing music to shape the desires of your heart. When you sing country music or, you know, whatever else, that's, mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's what we don't realize, I think, is we don't think about the power. Oh, of... I've realized it. Okay, well, <laughs> I just don't care. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, you should check out a guy. Do you know who John Foreman is? No. John Foreman was the lead singer of Switchfoot. Oh, okay. Uh, which was a Christian band. Um, but he's got some solo albums out that are amazing. I think okay. that you really like. You know, Flint loves Skillet. <laughs> he awesome. loves Skillet. That's amazing. Yeah. I forgot about Skillet. Right. And they've got some new, they got stuff, new stuff out. out. Yeah. Weren't they a ska band at one point? Oh, gosh. If it was ska, then I hated it. Uh, must have been. I think it was like the ska OC was the worst development in music ever. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't understand why anybody ever was like, it, it would be a good idea. just ran with it, man. Oh, gosh. Maybe that's the reason why I soured on it. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I know that it is good for me. Yeah. But there was a part of me that was just like, I don't know if I want to be the guy that is. Yeah, just listen to Christian music. There's a few that they're. They are really good. There's some, what, you know, Hillsong United got famous for a reason. I've got, I've got, um, I've got a, a, a playlist on Spotify called uh, my Tebow mix. I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. It's all Christian music. <laughs> okay. And I'll share it with you. All right. And I'll share it with anybody out there. You want to, you want to hear it? Let me know. <laughs> it's just Christian music. Most of it from when I was a teenager, uh, but some new stuff in there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't talk much about hope today nick but uh no, i think we had never. a pretty good conversation <laughs> we talked about how little hope we have <laughs> uh, we still have hope hope in jesus christ right at the end of the day like like i said the way that judges ends it says there was no king in israel and everyone did what they said was right or what they thought was right you could say the same thing now there's no king in america there's no king in the world right except for except and everyone and everyone's doing <laughs> and everyone's doing what they think is right but at the end of the day as christians we do believe there's a king and that king is Jesus Christ, right? And he came on that first Christmas day, and that's how we have confidence and hope that he's going to come again. And he reigns even today. So that's where our hope is. So, Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to get off here, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Nick, have a great week. Peace. Peace.